As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you currently in college or recently graduated but kind of struggling to figure out how to approach your post-grad life? If so, then I have the perfect guide for you, which I created for my college self in mind. That is the Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success ebook, which features a holistic approach to all things starting out in your career during and after college, from cultivating the right mindset, building your resume, maximizing your LinkedIn profile and network, and so much more. I take you through a personal step-by-step guide on how to prepare for all areas needed when searching for a job. And these were actually many steps that I personally did between my sophomore and senior year of college, as well as the first year out of college. So I always highly recommend to start early to create opportunities for yourself. In this ebook guide, you will find cover letter tips and custom templates available for download, resume building steps with three custom templates, LinkedIn tools, and step-by-step guide on maximizing your profile, top 20 behavioral interview questions, and a lot more. Again, you can find this online at whatfulfillsyou.com. Just make sure when you click shop, just go to all products and you will find the ebook there, or just go to the show notes and it will be linked. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth. I'm your host. And for today's episode, I am pulling one from the vault, one that was actually released just about a year ago. And I really wanted to bring this one back because not only was it really popular, but also I do think this guest speaks a lot on career development and just navigating the figuring out your life part, which I would argue is probably very applicable to all of us, especially for those of you who are also in your 20s. And in general, I think we're always figuring it out, but uh, it, it shows up in different ways 
in different stages of our life. And personally for me, when I'm trying to gain insight into kind of how I can navigate the future as, you know, I approach it, I do like to ask people who are about, you know, 10, 15, uh, 20 years ahead of me, again, depending on the topic and their own experience. So I really hope this conversation serves as that for you. But also before we dive into everything, I do know that I did a poll recently on the What Fulfills You Instagram and some of you had made note that you enjoy when I mix it up with some personalization on my intros. And so I guess I will just start it off with some gratitude today. It's been a while since I've included that in an intro. And The first thing that comes to mind is, especially as my birthday is approaching uh, this coming weekend, my birthday is on February 25th, and, you know, I, I think back to when I was turning 21, and back in the day that was uh, turning 21, like that period of my life, I had a lot going. It was, quite frankly, a time I transferred to a new university or like had recently transferred and was developing new friends and really trying to better understand what my personal principles are and applying a more stoic philosophy into my life. And so it's going through a lot of changes and this is somewhat pertaining to the college breakup that I talk about way too much, but um, it really just more or less had such a huge impact on me. And so I bring that up because as I approach my 26th birthday, which is crazy to say, I just have to admit, it does feel a little weird, but nonetheless, it I'm just so grateful to be surrounded and connected with really amazing people in my life and and amazing women, but especially I think back to even for my past birthdays uh, from turning 23 and 24, I spent those birthdays with my coworkers who just became extremely close friends of mine and to this day they still are. And, you know, funny enough, I will text them after this, um, just that I'm so grateful to have had them as a big part of my life during that time when I lived in Orange County in Los Angeles. And so I say with huge gratitude that I'm so utterly grateful to have the people in my life today, to be able to have girlfriends to come together with and celebrate a birthday, an annual thing. And I guess I realized I didn't bring up the point on the 21st birthday because back then I actually didn't have many connections, especially ones that really felt aligned with me. And so I think for my 21st, I did a brunch in Laguna Beach. And I remember I had some friends that kind of flaked last minute. And it was just a, you know, one of those things where you knew you didn't have full alignment yet and you can't really have that kind of hope or expectation of people. But I do recall the two that did show up. So it was just, you know, a brunch with three girls in total. And, um, you know, one of them to this day is still an extremely close friend of mine. And I actually just had a phone call with her the other day. But I I say that, yeah, just, just wanted to wrap that thought up about gratitude and how much has evolved in my life, how much I have developed and been able to put a strong focus on meaningful connections and quality relationships and ensuring that... I 
find right alignment in terms of values and principles and you know lifestyle compatibility whatever but also just that I continue to show up the way that I want people to show up for me and so uh, hopefully that gives you a little bit of inspiration and you know I just want to say if you are in a place right now where you're struggling a little bit in terms of friendships and having really aligned people in your life trust me when I say that it will come it also does take time you know for me it took years but you have to be willing to put yourself out there to be aware of of what aligns with you so maybe kind of coming back and regrouping to figuring out what your principles are and your values if you're not sure yet and then continuing to seek out people that showcase those in their own life and their actions and those are the moments when you will feel deeply connected with people especially friends is when you have that light bulb moment of wow we are alike we share not only similar interests but common values and um, it helps you feel more fulfilled in that area and that took me a while so I know that feeling of lacking that but also I am grateful to say that you know after quite a few years I have really honed down on some people all around the world um, which is lucky but sometimes hard when it's something like a birthday and you know all of your close friends live all over the freaking world including you know Italy and LA and uh, Germany and all over so it's a little bit tough but nonetheless I'm really grateful to have those people in my life and I just want to say thank you to you guys for just even tuning in uh, every week or however much you do a little bit longer intro today but hope you guys liked the more personal chat here and hopefully I can mix it up more in the future. But with that being said, let's welcome the CEO of Hayware to the podcast. Jacqueline, I am excited to sit down and chat. I actually brought my Hayware glasses there in my um, in my bag today. But <laughs> I, um, I, am, I was doing a lot of research on you, obviously. But I'm excited to just hear all about your background and how it led to becoming the CEO of Hayware because I know you have a lot of hospitality background, you studied finance, and so I think a big part of that is very relatable to women because you know most people think you have a linear path after college, right? And I think you're a great example of, no, that's not the case. So yeah. um, can we backtrack a little bit? Can you kind of share your childhood, where you went to school, a little bit of everything? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. It's great to see you, and I'm happy that you like your Haywares. Uh, so my upbringing, I guess. I grew up in the Brooklyn, New Jersey area. So I was born in Brooklyn. I went to school in New Jersey. Um, and I grew up in a big Italian family. So a lot of hospitality kind of around the table in mm -hmm. my house growing up, big holidays, just big. Everything was really big. Uh, so I think it, it was a really great way to grow up. And it really did dictate quite a bit of what I ended up pursuing as mm -hmm. I became an adult. Um, but I had a really a lovely childhood, um, and I, I feel really lucky about that. Yeah. Do you speak Italian as well? I do not. Oh, <laughs> I was asking because I am learning Italian right now. Just I'm oh. like a language uh, wannabe polyglot. I think that's what it's called. I think polyglot. That's great. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So okay, I saw that you went to University of Rhode Island. I did. And you studied finance. Um, did, how, if any, did it have an impact on your career direct trajectory after school? 
That's a really good question. And you're very right in that I didn't have a very linear path, yeah. um, which I think actually worked towards my advantage as I, as I got a bit older. But mm-hmm. I, you know, coming from the upbringing that I had in which hospitality and kind of service and food was a really main component, I grew up working in restaurants. So I had my first restaurant job at a super young age, like 14 or 15 at a local diner. And I think I learned a lot there about service and what it really meant to me to be able to create experiences for people. And because I was in the hospitality industry for so long, specifically restaurants, by the time I went to school, I had it really ingrained in me that I would go to school for something different and I would get my grown-up job and I would Mm -hmm. have this whole different life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. You know, I went to school for finance. I did not know what I wanted to do. When I went to school, I was really pretty lost during Mm -hmm. that process. And I went to school for finance because I thought that's what you should do. I have um, a cousin of mine who's just incredibly successful in that field. Mm -hmm. She's a woman. She's someone I've looked up to forever as a role model. So I just took that cue (laughs) because I didn't know what I was passionate about. Right. Um, I graduated, and I ended up working in finance on Wall Street in a few different areas for about four and a half years. Uh And I learned a lot, mostly about what I didn't want to do Mm -hmm. and how I didn't want to spend my life. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. I, I feel like that is not talked about a lot, too, in that even in those years when we look back now, even though they don't serve us long term, they still served us a very valuable lesson. What was the biggest one for you in that, you know, those few years in Wall Street and especially back then, too, you know, being a female in Wall Street yeah. and in that industry? What is that like? You know, I learned a lot being in that industry. You know, I sat on a lot of trading desks where I was the only woman mm-hmm. and you really you have to build up a level of resilience as a woman in a field like that at the time when I was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that has served me well in some ways, but I also don't think it's something that anyone should ever have to build up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used a lot of what I learned there about a culture that I want to create in mm-hmm. businesses that I work in and that I am lucky enough to be able to build. Yeah. And a lot of what I don't want to include in those cultures and how I want people to feel when they come to work every day. Right. And those learnings and, you know, that time of my life is it was so critical. You know, when I think back then, it was painful because you feel lost and right. confused. And, you know, you look around at some of your peers who have a very clear idea of what they want to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. And that could be really scary. Right. But I wouldn't change a thing. Right. During that time when you were feeling that sense of, you know, lost, right, um, I think a lot of students right now when they're in college they're trying to figure it out we all went through it right but i think some of them don't get to hear from those who kind of made it through that loss period and and hear like advice from them what would you say to them right now if they are feeling lost or those who just graduated and they're navigating you know a career in a field that they studied from college um but they're not feeling it you know what what would be advice you would tell them knowing what you know go with your gut take the chance make the leap you'll be fine. Mm. And I really believe that, you know, I've taken a few different leaps and gone with my gut in a few Mm -hmm. different ways that looking back were probably perceived as really crazy Mm. and really scary moves that, you know, your parents don't want to see you make and the people around you who feel really centered, they they don't really understand it. And if I didn't make those moves then, I would probably have a really successful finance career, but I just wouldn't be very happy. Right, right. And of course, that's why we're talking about it now, because, you know, a big concept of this is what fulfills you, right? What yeah. fulfills you in life. And so obviously a, a big transition for you is going from finance to hospitality. Mm-hmm. I saw that you were at Hillstone 
for quite a few years. Um, what was that transition like? And I think my curiosity um, is, was that something your parents didn't agree with going from finance? I mean, I can certainly say for myself, and part of it is with cultural and, and generational aspects, but they'd be like, what are you doing, right? You know, especially every parent just wants to see their kids succeed and have enough money to feed themselves, especially in New York City, yeah. right? So what was that like, you know, special, especially like the mental hurdles of transitioning for, your, for you, making that jump, knowing it's better for you long term, but you know, might not be having the full support from everyone around you. Yeah. One of my biggest priorities is ensuring that I optimize my health every single day to the best of my ability in all areas, including mentally, physically, and emotionally. That also includes what I am eating and drinking every day because we know that does affect our energy. And so I ensure that I'm intaking healthy nutrients with the drink Magic Mind. And it's something that I've actually been taking for over a year now. If you've been listening for a while, you know they've been a longtime sponsor. And what Magic Mind really is, it is a productivity shot with nootropics, adoptogens, and matcha. Also, if you are not aware, there's a lot of health benefits with adoptogens, which I won't get into, but just trust me look it up do the research yourself and you will see what the long-term effect is of intaking adoptogens and nootropics so how i take this i typically drink it in the morning take a sip of it and you know to be honest sometimes i drink two which is technically what we're not supposed to do but they did say it is okay for me to do so but they do recommend just taking one per day and after i drink this about 30 minutes in i start to feel really focused calm and especially in flow that's just the best way i could describe it and for those of you who also love coffee like me you can drink it alongside with your coffee or before afterwards it really doesn't matter so it doesn't mean that you have to cut out coffee or anything because for me i actually still drink both but magic mind is really kind of that healthy kick for me and i just know the amazing health benefits that nootropics and adoptogens have if you are interested in trying they come in a box of 15 and i highly highly recommend just give it a try so you can get 20% off your purchase with the code fulfill at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Again, that is 20% off your purchase with the code fulfill at magicmind.co slash fulfill. I mean, there you hit on such a few really interesting things there. I mean, one, you come out of school and a lot of us have a lot of loans and mm-hmm. i was one of those people where yeah. i had a lot of loans yeah so being able to say well i work in finance so in you know just a few years time i'll be able to pay them off i think made my parents feel really secure and like right. safe with my decision right. so then coming back a few years <laughs> later and saying you know just kidding i'm not happy in this right our parents you know i could speak for myself and you yeah. know, i'm sure for some others who are listening they didn't grow up the way that we did yes. and it was very much you know you pick a career path and you stick with it mm-hmm. and i think that that worked for them and i don't think it works for a lot of us today because we we are surrounded by a lot of options mm-hmm. and living in new york city you have a lot of options mm-hmm. and I don't think it would have been advised. I don't know if I would have advised myself back then to, with the amount of loans that I had strapped right. to me at the time to make a choice like that. But making that leap, I just knew in my gut that it would all work out and I would work so hard to make sure that it did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, working in service and working in hospitality is incredibly hard work. You yeah. you really sign up to work you know, six, seven days a week, all holidays, birthdays. And right. I, I wanted to do it because... A, Hillstone is a really incredible hospitality company, Mm -hmm. one where you can learn 
a lot about how to really create memorable, consistent experiences mm-hmm. that I think is really important when you think about building any business. How do you build a layer of operational consistency is something that is a skill. Right. And I learned a ton about that while I was there. I also didn't have a great balance while I was there, but I did it for as long as I wanted to, needed to, to know that I was taking with me all of the key learnings that I went there to find. Mm. What was the main reason you went from finance to hospitality? Like I, especially because they're, they're very, there's not as many parallels compared to maybe going from finance to just like a different business sector, right? Yeah, I think my background lended itself to really, again, loving that service component and wanting to be in environments where I could make people really happy Mm -hmm. and give people an experience that they would remember for a long time or be a part of someone's story, someone's night. And yeah, it wasn't a super parallel jump, but it was what I knew was right for me at that time and was in my heart of hearts was that I wanted to find a way to make that experience that I had in restaurants as a kid, mm-hmm. make that real and make that grown up and turn myself into a hospitality professional who really knows how to do that really well instead of, you know, just kind of bopping around in it like I did for a long time. Right. So for hospitality then, was it a big jump in terms of like your salary when you transitioned? Was that like a kind of hard, I don't know, slap in the face at first when you're transitioning? And especially too, I saw you were there for like four, five years, Almost maybe a little five, bit more. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what was kind of like the climb there? Like what did you start at, at and, you know, how did you progress within that career field? Yeah, I took a decent pay cut. (laughs) (laughs) I was living in New York the whole time, um, you know, paying those exorbitant New York rents. I had roommates. um, Nothing was worth how unhappy I was Mm. in finance. There was Mm. nothing worth it. So I knew that I could eat out less. I could make my own food. I could just do less. And I also knew that I was going to be working a lot. (laughs) And, you know, the move that I made to Hillstone, um, I also jumped locations. I moved to San Francisco to a city I had never been before right. um, to do my training, and I ended up living there for a year or so. So it was it was scary because I definitely did take a pay cut, and I did have to make some life decisions to, to be able to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like actual numbers, I probably took like a sixty or $70,000 pay cut when I left finance. Wow. Yeah, it was really scary. Yeah. But, you know, you I landed there with a lot of other young professionals who were either doing the same thing as me or just graduated from Cornell Hospitality School and they were joining Hillstone. Yeah. And because it's it's a really great hospitality program uh-huh. who were living very similar lives to me of, you know, we we want to do this because we know it's worth it and what we love and that, you know, it might not come with the biggest salary that you can have right out of school. Mm-hmm. But I also really believe in in the grind and kind of going through that process if you can make it work, yeah. just finding ways to do that. Yeah. So I saw in an article you had talked about how being in hospitality really allowed you to learn about human connection, understanding people, the human behavior aspect, all of that. Um, how is that translated over to now, especially prior to Hayware? I saw that you were um, head of people in operations uh, at Spacious. Is that or Spacious.com? I was the COO of Spacious. Okay. Um, Spacious was a huge part of my life, um, a really big change for me in terms Mm -hmm. of career. And, you know, being at Hillstone for as long as I was in hospitality, I knew when I was, when I felt like that chapter of my life was done, I knew that I wanted to take what I learned when it came to hospitality, human connection, human behavior, and find ways to layer technology 
over that human experience to create mm-hmm. something different. Yeah. So I joined as an early kind of first employee situation at Spacious right. um, before we had launched. Um, Spacious was a kind of play on retail and real estate to find wasted spaces in New York and then eventually San Francisco to create drop-in workspaces. Mm-hmm. So we were actually using restaurants that only served dinner and turning them into offices <laughs> during mm. the day when they would be closed for lunch right. to provide restaurants with another line of revenue generation and provide people with a flexible workspace solution that wasn't a permanent office or a lease at a WeWork. Mm-hmm. And we built that um, over the course of almost four and a half years to about mm-hmm. 40 locations between New York and San Francisco built a huge team. Yeah. Um, we ended up getting acquired in 2019 before I joined Spa- before I joined Hayware, excuse me. Okay, wow, wow, wow. Okay, so that's re- so that obviously you kind of hit the jackpot so to speak with, you know, being acquired and then moving on. Um what was a like how was that transition for you then coming from Hillstone and kind of leaving that hospitality chapter, right? And then going into I guess maybe a little bit more of a startup space or going back into business but in in a different uh, you know, I guess field where you're you're doing more of like operations and, and learning how to work with people and kind of using those skills from hospitality. What was that transition like? It was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think ask anyone who's ever worked in restaurants, there's no better, I don't think there's a better operator. Right. You know, being in restaurants, you you touch so many different areas, you interact with so many different people, and you're operating at a really fast pace pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. So being able to take that understanding of how to run a restaurant, both from a financial perspective and a day-to-day operational perspective, and be able to apply that to a startup, which mm-hmm. is very similar in the early stages of really fast-paced, kind of building the plane before you fly it, jumping in and learning and getting your hands dirty, even when you might not understand something. Mm-hmm. You know, I am and have been an operator really through and through. Mm-hmm. And joining Spacious, I all I had with me was my knowledge and my desire to build this. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew in that role very much by seeing a hole, an operational hole in our business or our process, mm-hmm. filling that hole, like teaching myself what's the best way to solve this problem, mm-hmm. spinning it up so that it's really operational, building a process, and then hiring someone to do that job. Mm-hmm. And I just kept doing that on repeat over and over again until I was the COO and I, and I was really able to kind of connect everyone cross-departmentally with an operational perspective and mindset. And I think that that served me and, and I learned a ton in that process. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel... Um, any sense of like imposter syndrome when you were jumping from, um, I don't know what your initial position was at Spacious, but like I guess from like that one of those first employee positions to then COO. Um, I don't don't know how old you were at that time either, but I feel like that's a common one, especially for women when they do hold such a big position, they start to feel like, I don't know if I'm qualified for this or I don't know how to lead the way, um, the way I think it's supposed to be done, right? Did you feel that way at any point? If so, how did you kind of overcome that hurdle? Yes, of course. <laughs> I feel that way now right, sometimes. Right. It's I think it's something that if you don't if you're not cognizant and self-aware of it enough, it can really eat you. Mm-hmm. And you need to to be aware of what your abilities are. You need to be humble enough to know what you don't know. And for me, what really served me well at Spacious was being vocal about what I didn't know mm-hmm. and what I wanted to know. And I think that helped me a lot really gain 
what I felt like was a lot of respect from the people around me because I was, you know, I was in this role, but nothing was too big or too small to kind of jump in and, mm -hmm. and do or handle or help with. And I learned a ton in that process. And it also helped me with that imposter syndrome because if you're doing it, like if you're really doing it, right. you're, not an, you're not an imposter. Right, right. <laughs> and I think those thoughts really live in our heads and they can really hold you back if you're not aware of them and, and kind of, I think, talking about them with the people around me, especially the women in my life, and uh -huh. really just having that support system is was so helpful then and is so helpful now right. um, because we all deal with it. Yeah. And so you made a similar jump at Hayware, right? You were in people and operations and then to now your CEO position um, after only four months. What was What was that like? I think it was even less than that. Oh, um, it that's was. crazy. That's why I was like, wow. I definitely, you know, I want to hear that story because I think, again, um, I think it's inspiring to women when they see and hear other women doing it, you know, before them and seeing like, hey, that's possible, right? Like maybe they're in a similar head of XYZ position right now and aspire to be in a C-suite position later on, right? Yeah. How, how did that come about? There was an, in, you know, I joined Hayware in more of a COO kind of head of people role. I was really trying to, it was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I was really trying to identify what I wanted for myself next because my last company had just gotten acquired and then we really jumped right into COVID. So I had a lot of time and space unemployed mm -hmm. to figure out what I wanted to do next because I had been consulting and then the world really stopped. Mm -hmm. Hayware was something that was introduced to me by someone I knew through the world. Um, I ended up deciding to join after really talking to them for a while, like about six months as they were in more of building mode during the mm -hmm. pandemic before we can have a retail experience. And I decided I joined. I wanted to join because the mission really resonated with me, and I thought this would be another really great challenge to layer hospitality and technology together to create an even better experience for something that has traditionally been really mundane and mm -hmm. difficult and mm -hmm. costly, and you know all that stuff. I'm sure we'll get into Hayware. Yeah. There was some internal dynamic changes that happened at Hayware during my very you know first months, and I was tapped to to step up. And it was something at the time that was extremely daunting. Mm -hmm. I think there is a difference between being a COO and being a CEO. The mm -hmm. skill sets are very different. And I felt like I really knew how to be a COO of Spacious. Mm -hmm. And when I started on my journey of being a CEO at Hayware, it was a lot of adapting and being agile and flexible and being open to the same thing, learning and understanding what I didn't know and what I needed to. Yeah. But it was a really exciting jump. And it you know, life throws things at you sometimes that yeah. you don't expect, and you have two options. Right, <laughs> and, right. you know, at that time, taking that leap was, it was just yet another another leap that I felt was yeah. the right direction to go in. What was the biggest difference you noticed in this, a COO position and a CEO? And, and how, what did you do along the way to adapt? Because, again, I think even for myself, I could see, you know, how easy it is to be like, oh, my God, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, right? I mean, like, how, how, what are like, what are you saying to yourself or, or what are some of the things that you're doing every single day to kind of wake up and kind of put that, um, you know, that CEO hat on and be like, I'm ready to, you know, conquer the day and I'm not going to let this, you know, that, that mental block get in the way of doing what I need to do and serving this company and serving the people that, you know, will, will get to benefit from Hayware. Absolutely. And I think that is what gets me and my whole team out of bed every day. It's, yeah. you know, we are really changing something that has left a lot of people without the ability to see for a really long time. Being a COO versus being a CEO, you know, at Spacious, I felt like I really had the opportunity to 
tr- to do and build all of those different components of the business and then put the right people in the right places to really thrive and then help with that communication aspect of mm-hmm. like how do we really grow operationally and what can I do to serve each of these individual departments mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis to make sure we're successful. Mm-hmm. To me, that playbook makes sense. Yeah. I know how to do that. I've been an <laughs> operator for a long time. Sitting in this seat, it's it's just a, it's a different skill set yeah. in that it's, you know, there is a different layer of people management when right. there's no one, you know, to go, like I am that person, yeah. <laughs> um, which has been a really different and exciting learning experience. There's also the the whole component of fundraising when you're mm-hmm. in a kind of seed stage, which is what we are kind of leading into our Series A. I think yeah. that was the biggest difference for me was learning how to be on a board, how to navigate board dynamics, how to fundraise, how to have these really important conversations with investors, and to really set and be the one to set a long-term vision and strategy for how you're going to grow. And in the beginning, it was super scary, and it took me a minute to get my footing, and now I'm having so much fun. Right. And I think the biggest thing for me, you know, you asked a very pointed question of like, you know, how do you, what do you do to like really get yourself prepared for that? And like, I have really tactical things that I do every day <laughs> that like I need as my touch points for making sure that I am ready to, to kind of conquer that day and, and to be ready for whatever's thrown at you because it's a different, a different story every day. Right. And you mentioned, you know, with the seed round as well and fundraising, um, I saw that your last funding round, correct me if I'm wrong, was it you raised 1.3 million last year? So we raised, this was an interesting, we raised a seed of $3 million, but it was in right at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. So we ended up only raising half of that. I see. And then we raised the other half when the world kind of reopened. Right. So that was that 1.3, and we're raising again right now. So. Okay, okay. And I saw, um, and to no surprise, that you had a big impact on, on that round. Like, could you share for, especially, I, I keep saying women, but I, I do just really think that a lot of females out there never really know or you know they're not on crunch base like looking at all these seed rounds right and they have no idea but like maybe one day they are in that position and hearing a story like this will kind of ring a bell for them like oh like I remember someone said this is kind of what it's like and I don't know to what extent you could share but can you kind of give maybe some basic insight into what you know you know the funding round is like and and what that is like being in your position and also too I've always heard you know there's some difficulties being a female and you know a funding round right so can you share a little bit um, especially for those who have always been curious but never had a chance to hear it from a fellow female sure I can do my best (laughs) Um, you know there's a lot of statistics out there that show just how different it is raising as a woman versus raising as a man Mm -hmm. you know the percentages kind of speak for themselves Um, and I'm I'm learning a lot I'm surrounded myself I've surrounded myself with a lot of other women founders and CEOs who have gone through this before me who have been kind enough to kind of let me see a peek inside their journey and you know, as as I go through this process, I, I'm always so happy to have those conversations about what I've experienced. And so far, it's been a really interesting path, mm-hmm. one that I have found really fruitful in that, you know, those pitches and really nailing down that pitch, when you do it and when you really get it right and things start to, to click, it, it's like a feeling I've never felt before. It's mm-hmm. really exciting. It feels really powerful, like you're able to to do this and to raise this money to support your team and to really right. continue to build that vision. And a lot of it is a numbers game. You know, you're mm-hmm. really, you're pitching all the time mm-hmm. and your story and the, the, your path for growth and like what you think about about your company and, and that growth phase, you just really need to believe it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when our strategy for long-term growth really clicked for me is when fundraising became fun mm-hmm. and easy. 
Um, and there will be a lot of women founders who like that story is embedded in them because mm-hmm. it's their baby and their story. And mm-hmm. I think being a non-founder CEO is a little right. bit different right. because it wasn't. And I, I learned a lot about the business as I started, but I've changed it. And we've created a vision for what it's going to be now. Right. And we've launched two retail components and we have, you know, a whole e-commerce platform and we're doing partnerships. And like, there's just a lot of the story that now for me, you know, I could look five years into the future and totally see it. And I think having that level of confidence in what I know that we can build is a really important aspect of being able to tell that story mm-hmm. in a really compelling way. Yeah. When for you, because you talk about long term vision a lot, and that's something I do as well, just, you know, I think that's a big component whenever you are creating something or leading a big team, you have to be the one to share that vision and have that team help execute that together. Right. Um, Was it was it like, I guess, I I don't know if there was any at different points, your your vision changed, but like maybe let's say in the recent year, when the vision, especially when the pandemic kind of, you know, fizzled out a little bit, like more 2021, and now we're in 2022. Did that vision become a lot more clear to communicate then? And was that easier in terms of like the funding and getting investment? Because it was like, okay, here's kind of where we're, you know, predicting with the pandemic and how that won't impact retail as much. Was that kind of part of what allowed you to have a maybe more successful funding round? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I think I've always had a lot of conviction in retail generally, okay. with or without the pandemic, which obviously shifted the landscape Absolutely. in the whole world. And New York City, I think, took a pretty massive hit, especially. Mm-hmm. But I always felt in my heart of hearts that retail will bounce back. Retail bounces back. Yeah. And we need to be creating experiential retail experiences mm-hmm. that are different than your traditional store um, because there's a lot that you can buy online and yeah. people feel really safe in their homes and that's totally fine. Yeah. So what kind of experience can we create that is new and different and optimized to make people's lives better and easier that would make people excited to go right. back out into the world? Right. Which is why I was really excited to launch a business like Hayware kind of when we did, because it was a time when people were scared to, right. to have to kind of try new things and go outside and, you know, be around other people. So like, how can we create an environment that's really supportive and comforting and and, cre- and creating something that is supposed to be helpful mm-hmm. to someone? And also there's a healthcare component to what we're building. Right. So I think that's really important as well. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know Hayware, and, and I, as I mentioned, I got a chance to experience it back in October. I was fascinated because I obviously, since middle school, I've had to have glasses and contacts. Um, and yeah, it always was a long process and, you know, it was whatever, right? Um, I, I got LASIK back in May 2020, but um, I remember it, it was still never like 
perfect because that's just how LASIK is. Sometimes yeah. it's completely 2020, sometimes it's like 2025. I knew I had like the 2025, which is again, much better than me relatively blind without glasses or yeah. contacts. Um, but still, that's why the glasses I have, it's it's not only cute and chic, but like it actually clears my vision just a, good. a little bit. And so it's it's nice. But can you explain the concept for those? And funny enough, too, I thought I would add, um, when I was sharing about interviewing you today, I had a New York City listener go, oh my God, that's my favorite like eyewear place. And I'm like, ah! yeah, that's so great. <laughs> so um, ex- share the concept in, in your own words. I would love to. So we are a optical retail brand that Mm -hmm. is built on a layer of proprietary technology and software that we built in-house to really change the way that people have access to vision and glasses. And we do that by truncating an experience that traditionally, and when I say traditionally, really, truly forever, Mm -hmm. um, took two to three visits to different doctors, two to three weeks to kind of go through the entire experience and receive your glasses, Mm -hmm. and hundreds if not thousands of dollars depending on just how severe your vision and correction is. Right. We wanted to really create a way to streamline that entire process um, when it came to pricing and also convenience and time. Mm-hmm. So you can walk into one of our studios. We have two right now. We have mm-hmm. one in NoHo on Lafayette and Bond and another in downtown Brooklyn. Pick out a pair of glasses, have access to a free comprehensive eye exam, which is really important to us to be able to remove that barrier of entry for mm-hmm. people who are un- uninsured or right. you know to be able to get that eye exam. Um, pick and then you know that entire experience will cost you one flat price of ninety nine dollars for any frame that we have, mm-hmm. which is inclusive of again that exam, your lenses, regardless of your prescription, mm-hmm. and then your glasses are done in less than thirty minutes, and you walk out with them on your face. So we're really yeah. trying to just give more people access, whether it's you don't have enough time mm-hmm. or you are so busy that you can't prioritize going to a traditional eye doctor and then having to go to an optician or you're afraid that you're going to walk into a big eyewear chain and, mm-hmm. and walking out spending $700 that you didn't plan right. for. Right. So for us, it's really about being transparent and serving a customer right. and giving people an experience that they've never had before. And it's been really fun because I get to layer hospitality on top of something that has been historically unhospitable yeah. and really hard. And you know, people leaving delighted and being able to see for a price that they can afford right. is just really incredible. And it's a lot of fun. Right. I was super curious about this, especially because, again, I was able to walk out with a pair of prescribed <laughs> glasses. And I was like, obviously, that's super fast because usually it takes, you know, especially I think back in the day, I used to get glasses from Costco or something. Yep. And, um, you know, it would take like a week or two and they you'd come in and they'd check it and make sure it fits everything, all that good stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how the heck did they actually like finish that? while I was in my eye exam. Like, yeah. I don't know, are you able to share a little bit of that? Or? Yeah, okay. sure. I mean, why not? <laughs> it's a little bit of, uh, it's a lot of planning on our side. So just the way that the actual exam works from start to finish, mm-hmm. like I'm sure your exam probably took about 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit longer, a little shorter. And we, like, what tells you your glasses prescription is called your refraction. Mm-hmm. So we get your refraction in, in the first component of that exam. And then we have a doctor who confirms that. And as soon as they do that, they send your prescription up to the lab. Uh-huh. And then you're still downstairs having your eye health exam because we really want it to be comprehensive. Right. Because a lot of people don't prioritize going to the eye doctor. And when mm-hmm. they do, they just want glasses. Mm-hmm. So at times, they'll only get that refraction and not really take a look at your overall eye health, right. which can show you a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. You know, when they say the eye's window to the body, 100% true. Right. 
And another reason why that exam is free is because we really want people to get their eyes checked, especially the younger generation. Like mm-hmm. before you're 40, people think you don't have to go. Really? Yeah. But you should really be treating your eyes like your teeth. You only get one set, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we do it. You come up from your eye health exam and your glasses are ready. Okay. What about expansion? And also to maybe if you if you do have any desire to touch on this, I, I like the, um, especially in business, right? I've always, uh, always enjoyed a little bit of competitiveness. And I did see that on another piece. PR article, it said kind of like you're challenging Warby Parker in a sense, right? Um, In regards to like expanding and, you know, looking at the market and who you may or may not be competing with, um, kind of what's the vision for that? And and how do you foresee it over the next five years? And especially with how retail is changing, you know, um, and hybrid work and all that. um, How do you foresee that for Hayware and and especially on the expansion side? We have quite a few plans for expansion mm-hmm. over the next five years. Our goal is to be within an hour of most Americans, so quite a bit of expansion on the mm-hmm. U.S. side, um, as well as really building out a more omni-channel approach to get people what they need. Right mm-hmm. now, that's mainly e-commerce, but that can kind of continue to grow and change as we grow and change and our right. team gets a bit bigger. Um, we, you know, Eyewear is a tremendous market. It's about $140 billion globally. Mm-hmm. 40 of that is here in the United States. So when you talk about competition, there's a lot to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Warby Parker article and, you know, their success has been really incredible. And they mm-hmm. were the first people who challenged a really stagnant industry for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And they made an incredible impact on what Eyewear is today. Right. And we are taking it another step further and saying, well, let's think more about convenience. Let's think more about price and simplicity and giving people options to really express themselves authentically so that they can always walk into Hayware and know that they can have another pair of glasses to reflect their mood or their mm-hmm. vibe or match their outfit or have, mm-hmm. because they have a big meeting and they want to feel awesome. Yeah. And they want to do that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we all want that. And I think it's also a testament to this new generation of knowing who we are and really wanting to be able to express yourself in a really unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in, in regards to Hayware now and, and your experience over the past, you know, two, two and a half years, uh, what has been the biggest lesson for you that you've learned adapting into this position, being, um, you know, first time non-founder CEO? What has that been like overall? And I guess any specific advice for just women out there in terms of their career and what they hope to achieve for their own career? Yeah, I mean, there's been a ton of lessons learned building Hayware and all of which, you know, could be hard in the moment, but are always worth it on the other side. Mm-hmm. One thing that I always go back to is just really being cognizant of the team that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. I have surrounded myself, I'm very lucky, with really smart people who are experts in their domain, who I can look to to teach me if there's mm-hmm. a, something that I don't know or that I want to learn more about and that are willing to collaborate with me and really trust in the vision that we're building together. So that would be kind of something that I think is a challenge to make sure you're, you're doing really well, but mm-hmm. it's always really worth that extra effort when you're making those key hires for your team. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of advice, I mean, I really took a lot of chances yeah. and a lot of risks. And in the moment, they feel really big, uh-huh. and they are. But right. I think it's, it's really important to set yourself up to be able to do that mm-hmm. and really listen to yourself. You know, if you're unhappy in a job or, or a role or if you have the bandwidth and, and the time and the space to try to figure out what's next, mm-hmm. the sooner the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for the experiences that I had and there's mm-hmm. really nothing I would change. But I, I know now that I was really lucky to have that kind of 
self-awareness and the wherewithal to know that when I wasn't happy. Right. So I think doing the work to kind of look internally and understand where you will make the most impact and be the happiest is just a really useful exercise in a really busy world when we don't always feel we have time. Totally. What is the mantra that you live by or that you remind yourself maybe every day, every week that, you know, really has gotten you through definitely, especially the difficult days? You know, I write myself notes <laughs> and, awesome. and I think, and they change a lot. So I wouldn't say that I have one specific mantra. I'm a huge Peloton person, uh-huh. um, which I know a lot of people <laughs> are. Um, and when I really need kind of a dose of inspiration, I, I ride every morning. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing I need to do for my sanity. Yeah. And I have kind of my go-to instructors for the day that I have ahead of me. Right. And there's a lot of inspiration that I get out of that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like a little bit less of a mantra, a little bit more of just making sure I move my body, mm-hmm. making sure that I take the time to meditate and really like kind of work through things that I know are coming for the day, yeah. um, which just helps me regulate and make sure that I'm consistently balanced. And if there's a really, you know, challenging experience that I'm going to have that day, just making sure that I'm mentally prepared to handle it is, yeah. is really important to me. And I think mantras are great. And I love journaling. And, you know, I'm consistently reading. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's, it's you know, about doing a lot of internal work to just keep myself balanced. Yeah. Um, few last questions, a little bit more on kind of like advice and recommendations. Um, maybe outside of the career aspect, is there any advice you'd give to women, especially in their 20s, when it comes to, let's say, even balancing, you know, with a career, a relationship, all of that good stuff in your 20s, right? Something that I think we all kind of neglect or have difficulty in figuring out how to do during that time. Anything that comes to mind for you? Prioritize. You know, I think really being able to look at your life now and, and, and be able to think about what you want in the future I think nailing down values is something that I wish I did earlier. Mm, Like what are the things that I really want for my life later? And of course that can change, but your values pretty much stay the same-ish. And I think once you have a list of values, you can reprioritize those all the time. You know, at different chapters in life, relationships might be at the forefront. And then in another chapter of life, work might be at the forefront or family or being able to take care and support people around you. And I think that's a really important exercise to do as well, um, just really understanding what's important to you. Hmm. Do you have a book recommendation that was transformative to you at any point um, and that you think would also be helpful for others? I just recently reread Radical Candor. Mm. So that's like more of a, you know, business book, but I really, really enjoyed it. And then a book that I've read at a bunch of different times during my life was always The Alchemist, which I think always Mm -hmm. recenters me and and really kind of helps me align with where I am and and really where I want to be. Yeah. Oh, those are good. I I read The Alchemist as well. It's a great book. Definitely a good one. (laughs) Um, Okay. Random questions from the card game, as you know, from (laughs) you saw it at Showfields. I did. Um, Let me see. Um... I think this is an interesting one for you. How do your decisions change if retirement isn't an option? If retirement mm-hmm. isn't an option? Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, being a CEO and kind of running a business, what would you, if you didn't foresee yourself retiring, uh, maybe because you're passionate about making an impact, right? You know, what what would, what do you think you, you might do differently? I mean, I really kind of think the path I'm on is perfect if you're thinking about not yeah, retiring because it yeah. doesn't really end. Yeah. Um, and I think it it opens me up to new experiences every day. I have never worked to think about retirement. Mm-hmm. I've never really had a nine to five job. Right. So the thought of working as a means to 
an end has mm-hmm. never really been my mindset. Like I really enjoy the work that I do. And I think if I didn't, that I would have a very different answer to that. Right. <laughs> do you think back in your finance career, it was not necessarily catered towards like, okay, eventually I'm going to retire. But do you think that maybe felt less purposeful than what you do now that maybe that idea would be more relevant of absolutely. retiring? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you go into work every day and you're not happy yeah. and it's not fulfilling you and it's really just to collect a paycheck, mm-hmm. you're you're working towards retirement because, and that, that is a goal f- and that should be a goal. You know, right. if that's important to you, right. absolutely. Right. Um, but we work for a really long time. Yeah. And it's, it was really important to me to, to find something that I loved. And granted, not every day is rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. But if the, you know, the greater outlook is, is positive and you're excited about the direction that you're going in, mm-hmm. I think it, it's, it matters. You talked about values and, and knowing your values as early as you can. Um, this is a good question around that. What are your core principles and values that you live by? I really live by doing good. Um, you know, me and my very close friend always, we have a thing that we say to each other of just be a good one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's really important to me to know that whatever decision I'm making isn't having any harmful effect to anyone and it's only making things better. You know, I think we only have, you know, a finite amount of time. Right. And it's really important to me to leave things better than I found it and to make time for what's important to me, mm-hmm. um, which for me is my family and mm-hmm. my friends and being supportive and being there for people, even though we have, you know, these incredibly busy jobs and lives. Um, and it's really important for me to show up to my, for my team in that way too. So. Right. Be a good one is yeah. really important to me. Ooh, I really like that. Um, last one from the card game. If someone asked you when you were 10 years old what you wanted to be when you grew up, what did you say? And do you think that answer still relatively applies to what you actually are or want to be? I never knew. Really? I okay. really didn't. I, you know, I was never a kid who wanted to be a doctor or an mm-hmm. astronaut or mm-hmm. I didn't have an inkling. I knew where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to live in a big city yeah. and have a lot of different experiences. And I was always really attracted to things that made me feel creative. Yeah. Um, but I never had a plan, <laughs> which really makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up, you know, totally fine for you, right? I mean, again, I think that's something a lot of people worry about is like they're always looking at their peers and their colleagues and like oh my god like they have their life set and some people sometimes says that say that about me too but I go you have no idea like uh, you know just because we are in certain positions now that you should see what it was like four five six years ago because that was never the case right but it's usually trial and error figuring it out as you go and and really learning um, along the way what works and what doesn't work for you yeah and I think that there's something to be said for being open and taking different paths. And you're right, like figuring Mm -hmm. out what works for you. Mm -hmm. Joining, you know, Hillstone or joining Spacious. At the time, I had an idea. But what was so cool is that I got to try so many different things in all of those different, you know, times of my life that really made me understand what I was good at Mm -hmm. and what made me happy every day. But I wouldn't have known that if I, you know, said I want to be a doctor. I know I want to be a doctor and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I think that's a really unique and excellent path for a lot of people. Right. But for me, it was more about being able to kind of look in a bunch of different directions mm. and figure it out because right. I think we change. Exactly. Uh, last question. It's something I ask everyone on the show. Um, but out of, you know, just what we talked about today and just, you know, how you've reflected on your own life, what would you say fulfills you in life? 
I am fulfilled by being a supportive being in the lives of the people that are important to me mm. and knowing that I can be depended on I think really fulfills me um, and just spending time with people that I love yeah <laughs> yeah I think it always comes down to people yeah and I think we it, it was really emphasized during the pandemic when we you know just wanted to connect with others again be around with people be able to go out to dinner and celebrate yeah. right and you you would know being in hospitality those are just some of the greatest moments they so. are and you know we're all really lucky and you yeah. know to, to be surrounded by great people and yeah I just you know I'm so fulfilled um, by the people that are in my life you know yeah. you, I learn from them every day so it's it's all that fulfills me quite a bit Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Where can everyone find you or Hayware and things to look out for? Absolutely. So um, Hayware.com is our website. Um, Hayware Studio on Instagram. Please reach out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm always on Instagram as well. I'm (laughs) tagged all over Hayware so you can find me. (laughs) Amazing. And I will link all of that in the show notes. Please do. And yeah, I'm so excited. I I, I love, you know, the, the glasses I have. I love wearing it. It's so cute. My parents were like, Wow, it's crazy. Like you got LASIK, but like you know, this, that's, it's so cute. Like you should still rock it. So I like wear it from time to time, and yeah, it's so it's so fun. I love that. And also, like fashion glasses are fun. We, yeah. have, you know, so many people will come in and get glasses without prescription just to add right. to your look. And right. It's awesome. I know. It's it's yeah. so nice to just throw on some days. Like yeah, I'm just changing it up. You know. Totally. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Thank I you really for appreciate me. it. Thank you for having me. It was great. And that was all for today's episode with Jacqueline Pascocello, the CEO of Hayware. I really hope you enjoyed this little throwback. And whether this was your first or second time listening to this conversation, I hope it brought some new value to you. And if it did, please be sure to share this with a friend. You guys, I think we're all struggling in our 20s. And so sometimes it's just nice to send to a friend, hey, I think this may be helpful for you. So send this to a friend, share on your Instagram story. And if you do, be sure to tag the podcast Insta at what fulfills you and my personal one at Emily E. Duong. For those of you who do that, you guys know I always respond. I always chat with you guys in a really, I genuinely, no joke, it makes my day every time. So thank you so much for the small things you guys do to keep this podcast afloat. And for all things merch, you can find the very cozy hoodie, the card game, the journal, all the fun things. It's available at whatfulfillsyou.com. Thanks again, and I will chat with you all in the next episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.